0: Welcome to S&C's Critical Insights. I'm Mark Trevino, and I co-head the Corporate Governance Practice. With me today is my partner, Annie Ostrager. At S&C, Annie wears many hats. In addition to being the co-head of our labor and employment practice, she's a leading member of our criminal defense and investigations group. Today, we're discussing lessons from the 2020 proxy season on board diversity. Good morning, Annie.
1: Good morning, Mark, and thanks for that nice introduction.
0: For a while now, Board diversity has been an important topic for institutional investors, individual investors, and corporate stakeholders generally. And that has had an effect. If we just look back at last year, on a variety of vectors, 2019 was a record setting year for the appointment of women and ethnic and racial minorities to corporate boards. Originally, the focus was on female representation on corporate boards. But the 2020 proxy season is arguably the first time that U.S. public companies received a meaningful number of proposals specifically focused on the issue of racial diversity.
1: I agree, Mark, I think that if you look back historically, there's been a focus on gender diversity for a few years now, but there's been a sea change where we're starting to see greater emphasis on increasing racial diversity on boards and in other senior positions. And we've already seen as an output of that, litigation in this area.
0: That must explain why you're here, Annie. What kind of cases are we seeing now?
1: Indeed, Mark. Since July of this year, six shareholder derivative suits have been filed against the boards of Oracle, Facebook, Qualcomm, Norton LifeLock, The Gap, and Danaher Corporation. With the exception of the suit against Danaher, the other five suits were brought by the same plaintiff's firm, raised similar claims and seek similar relief. These complaints all allege breaches of fiduciary duty for failure to ensure diversity on the board aiding and abetting those breaches of fiduciary duty, abuse of control, unjust enrichment, based on claims that pay was higher for board members due to discriminatory pay policies against minority employees and violations of the Securities and Things Act. These complaints allege that the company directors repeatedly made false assertions about company commitments to diversity and inclusion and fell short of stated objectives by failing to retain African-American members on their boards or among other senior officers.
0: Great. So in addition to shareholder engagement, shareholder proposals, public and media pressure, and legislative pressure, we now also have litigation focused on increasing board diversity.
1: Yes, that's right. And I think we can expect, given all the public attention in this space, to see even more of that going forward.
0: So these cases, many of which were bought by the same firm, are they seeking any specific type of relief?
1: They are. In this first wave of cases, the remedies sought by plaintiffs involve an effort to replace current or new directors with other minority candidates. For example, some plaintiffs are seeking to impose a specific target for diversity hiring for the next five years, which in and of itself can pose complicated employment and litigation questions, and mandate annual diversity-oriented training for the entire board. Plaintiffs also seek to have these companies revise their executive compensation programs so that at least 30% of compensation is tied to achievement of the company's diversity goals. And that is a huge metric by any measure.
0: It sure is. For those of us who follow shareholder proposals, you can see how this litigation actually is hand in glove uh, with shareholder proposals because we have seen a variety, obviously, on diversity initiatives, but also on tying compensation uh, to success in that area. Today, I think we'd say about a little over 10% of S&P 500 companies disclose some type of diversity metric in their compensation plans. And and anecdotally, certainly that practice is likely to continue and to increase. That being said, those are usually qualitative metrics and are part of other metrics. And the result is that the actual impact of the diversity metric is small. So, uh, say, four to five percent. And if you look at some of the leading companies in this area, like Microsoft, uh, TechStrong and Verizon, they have these metrics, but they're at that level.
1: Right. And as of now, I would say that's a minority even to do that and to disclose it and to tie it in any way that can be quantified, because as you say, For many companies, this is a much more qualitative assessment that couldn't be quantified easily. Mark, this focus on board and executive officer diversity is also calling for an increase in disclosure, right?
0: That's right. You do see, again, from a variety of directions, a push for additional disclosure in this area, which you've also seen in Europe with the hope that disclosure will cause executive teams and boards to focus more on it. Uh, In July, also, Institutional Shareholder Services inquired to uh, U.S. companies and their whole portfolio, uh, requesting voluntary disclosure on self-identified race and ethnicity characteristics for each company's directors and their executive officers. And I expect that what you will see is. They're attempting to build both a database and metrics around that disclosure, which is not otherwise currently mandated. You have seen some companies disclose this information. An example would be Verizon, which as part of the proxy season and its proxy statement disclosed the percentages of employees that were women or racial minorities, almost 60%. And its overall supplier spending at minority-owned firms, which also was almost $6 billion. Still, most companies are very hesitant to provide this information because they feel that it can change year to year and potentially can be a lagging indicator of their efforts.
1: I think that's right, and I also think there may be concerns about what aggregated information like that is even really telling you, But plaintiffs are requesting that companies disclose diversity data that focuses on hiring, retention, advancement, and pay equity of its minority employees. And these types of demands for diversity disclosures and quotas may increase in the face of potential litigation. But all of these issues are complicated, and even the definition of pay equity has a lot of different meanings for companies and may not be the same definition that plaintiffs are using.
0: I agree, that is a risk to be attuned to.
1: Companies also need to monitor applicable state laws to ensure they're in compliance with board quotas and diversity disclosures in evaluating potential litigation risks. In 2018, California, for example, became the first state to enact legislation imposing a gender quota for corporate boards. Recently, California's legislature also passed a bill signed by Gavin Newsom, the governor, which broadens the requirements to include quotas for historically underrepresented ethnic communities. This law will take effect January 1st of next year and allows companies headquartered in California to meet those requirements by the end of next year. While it's unclear whether this law will survive legal scrutiny, other states are considering implementing similar legislation.
0: A pattern which we have seen started in California over the past four years. That's right. So if I'm representing a public company in America, are there any key takeaways if I'm concerned about this type of litigation?
1: I would say companies need to review their proxy statements and other public statements on diversity and inclusion. A company may also want to consider amending statements on diversity that may be reasonably interpreted as constituting guarantees that could be challenged in litigation. Companies may also want to consider various initiatives, including in investing in their recruiting and diversity training and think about other ways to make sure that this is a topic that's on everyone's radar internally. What about key takeaways on the corporate governance and executive compensation side, Mark?
0: Well, of course they should track uh, shareholder-driven and private sector initiatives, potentially through podcasts like this. But also as they think about increased disclosure, they obviously need to think both about what they're disclosing, what the reaction will be, but also, the need to disclose that information consistently over time, which is a separate type of analysis, and also that that information goes through the same type of vetting process as the other disclosure information that the company puts out. And that has been something that issuers have only gradually become attuned to. So thank you very much, Annie. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.sulcrum.com.